0: Hi guys, and welcome back to Molecule to Market. Um, If you're getting a little bit of background noise, it's because my two-year-old is snoring just behind me, just enjoying his afternoon nap on our vacation. Nevertheless, thanks for being here. And as always, I'm your host, Roman Segal, and we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. My guest today is the lovely Dr. Sarah Stevens, who is SVP and Head of Early Development and Late Stage Operations at Quotient Sciences. I really enjoyed my conversation with Sarah. She is someone that I fortunately met a few years ago. When my family relocated to Boston, and Sarah and her husband were very kind to give us some pointers on, you know, relocating to Massachusetts with kids and all that type of good stuff. It's been incredible to watch Sarah's career continue to progress to where she is today in a very senior role in the executive team at Quotient Sciences. We covered quite a lot of ground today in in the interview Um, and particularly one of the things that I find fascinating which we talk about was uh, Sarah's I suppose non-traditional pathway to where she is today. She tends to take on roles that you would traditionally associate with guys in the outsourcing space, and she is a real kind of role model for young women. And we talk about that, and include um, she includes some fantastic tips for young female leaders. Uh, look out for uh, the kind of. The definition of translational pharmaceutics, which is a concept that I didn't know about and how that helps with early phase uh, drug trials. And also we cover some ground, uh, you know, on personal terms as well. Sarah was kind enough to be very open and transparent about her recent challenges with breast cancer uh, and that kind of uh, humility and vulnerability, I think, is a really beautiful thing in terms of just helping others in that situation. For background, um, Sarah is the Senior Vice President and Head of Early Stage Development and Late Stage Commercial at Quotient Sciences with an oversight for all global sites and operational functions from early development programs through to late stage and commercial manufacturing. Sarah oversees deployment of Quotient's unique platform for integration translational pharmaceutics, which eliminates white space between these traditional siloed drug development areas. Prior to this role, she was the VP of Drug Development Scientists with responsibility for drug development consulting and the creation of an integrated programs across the organisation. Located in Boston, Massachusetts, Sarah's experience spans a range of scientific and leadership roles within the drug product contract development and manufacturing space. Sarah received her PhD in Pharmaceutics from the University of Manchester and her M Pharm Pharmacy from Strathclyde University. As always, thank you so much for listening. If you get a moment today, uh, please give us a little five star rating and on the app store of choice and share this episode with a friend or a colleague that works in the sector. Thank you to my team, Hannah, Gemma, Tony and Roxana, who helped me pull all of this together. Uh, Very grateful for them because without them, this would not be possible. And beyond that, um, enjoy today's episode. Hi Sarah, welcome to the show.
1: Hi there, thank you for having me.
0: Our pleasure all ours. It's been uh, it's been a while, and in getting you on the show, so I'm really glad that we're we able to bring your story to our listeners. So just to start off with, Sarah, give our listener a bit of a overview of your background, how you got into the sector, and how you got to your position where you are today at Quotient Sciences.
1: Yeah, happy to. Um. So yes, I started out life as a registered pharmacist in the UK I graduated from Strathclyde University in Glasgow which is where I'm from um, and knew I guess from the outset that I you know was more interested in in following kind of the scientific path um, as opposed to the um, clinical route that you know pharmacy can also provide so From there I went on, continued with my studies for a considerable period of time, moved to Manchester in England and did my PhD in pharmaceutical chemistry formulation development there. Uh, From there I went right back to Glasgow actually which wasn't necessarily in the master plan but had a great opportunity to do some postdoctoral work back at Strathclyde University Um, So from there, I made my move into the CDMO world where I have remained ever since. um, And first of all, held bench scientist roles at a company that was then NCAP Drug Delivery. And we were focused on liquid fill of um, hard shell capsules. um, And I guess they've had a couple of different names above the door uh, since that time. From there and actually coinciding um, with the birth of my first child, my daughter, who is now um, 11, um, I moved across to what was then Achet's sterile development and manufacturing business also in Glasgow. So kind of unintentionally uh, remained in in Scotland to begin with. From there or within within the Archchet site, I was responsible for the development part of the business, and um, the early development part of the business there and then went on to to be the general manager um, for a few years before we moved as a family across to where we are now um, in Massachusetts. Um, So hopped across the um, Atlantic, and the driver for that was that the the site in Glasgow um, had been acquired by AMRI. We were then part of a a broader drug product division, um, and we moved across here. Um, to Massachusetts, where Amri had a um, another set of manufacturing site, and I moved over here and became the general manager of the business there too. Um, so many many years uh, enjoyable years as part of Aptu, and then Amri, um, you know, by then predominantly in kind of general management leadership roles within the drug product development manufacturing um, services space, and Around two years ago, not quite two years ago, actually, um, made a you know significant move across, uh, weaving MRI and joined Quotient Sciences where I am now, um. So yeah, it was a, I guess a significant moment in time for me. I actually was diagnosed with breast cancer, um, several months before that, and you know just kind of big, turning point, reevaluation, what I want to do, uh, and it all. Kind of stars aligned in a way the opportunity presented itself at Quotient Sciences and so I made the move across there and spent the first nine months or so as part of our drug development consulting team. We have a really strong um, team of people that are incredibly knowledgeable across all parts of the kind of drug development um, process. They work um consultatively collaboratively with our customers as we you know scope projects and then go on to deliver uh, the work within the the organization um so it was a fantastic kind of inroad for me i was able to become really familiar with what quotient does what differentiates us all of our services you know our customers and so on um and then moved um to a role as part of our exec leadership team um with responsibility for all of our early development and late-stage commercial services so essentially spanning everything that we do um across four of our locations both here in the us and in the in the uk so many follow-up questions <laughs> so that, yeah that's the part well, well,
0: well firstly um i suppose thank you uh, for sharing i suppose very personal details about your own challenges health challenges and it goes without saying uh, sarah but we hope you're doing well and fine and are healthy now and you know I'm sure that's been a very challenging family uh, time for you and your family so I'm um, yeah. certainly very pleased that you're here and hopefully well to tell the story because I think you know it's yeah. it takes a lot to not only go through that but to be able to to talk about it and so thank you f- for that. Um, yeah.
1: No no I am very healthy now and yeah no I I kind of appreciate the opportunity to talk about these things it was a huge shock to us I was you know pretty young 37 at the time um and so no I just I think it's important to flag um that this is you know can happen to anyone take you by surprise and so you know being aware and and being checked out I probably uh saved my life actually so
0: wow well well I think for any of our Listeners, I think that's a there's a lesson in, in there for all of us, and appreciate Sarah you being so candid and, and open, and I think that's ultimately very helpful for everyone else. And I, it, it's funny, you know, if I look at the, your career progression and in, in the success that you've had, it's almost like uh, you know many of the male guests that I've had on the show have followed a very similar path, and in in the nicest possible way you are very non-traditional <laughs> and that is, is super interesting to me. So how, how have you found that, you know, I looked at, you know, what, what was the MRI is now Curia, you know, you are head of a site there and I believe you became head of a site, as you said, in, in near Boston as well. How has been, what's that journey been like to almost be in roles that are traditionally associated mm-hmm. with, with male leads, but also, you know, breaking down some of those traditional barriers
1: yeah no i think it's a it's such a huge topic and it and my i guess experience and kind of perspective on that has most definitely evolved over the years and i think you know when you're or certainly when i was i guess younger and and starting out in these roles i was in the uk and did not necessarily give a second thought to whether you know male female you know anything um in that regard i used to I used to joke and say, oh, I feel you know younger than everyone else. And unfortunately, I can't continue saying that forever. <laughs> um, it was not, you know, so my perspective, as I say, changed, I guess, as I was in these kind of general manager site head roles. And I know that at one point, certainly as, as part of, you know, AMRI, we had a large number of facilities. And I think two, maybe even three of those, you know, site leads were, female and I think at the point I moved to the US I certainly started to kind of see and feel the relevance of that a little more Um, Mm -hmm. I think things you know again you you grow I guess and experience and important not to try and be something that you're not quite honestly so there is you know there is no need to try and adopt more I guess stereotypically male um you know behaviors um attitudes potentially. So I think you know the importance of just you know understanding the value that you that a female pr- perspective um can bring. Um, you know that that kind of diversity of perspective experience, whatever it might be, um, is hugely important. So again, I it was something that for me became m- more actively um Mm -hmm. you know i became more actively aware of that i guess and i see now you know the importance of that you know call it diversity in the in the boardroom or the around the table whatever that might look like within quotient i feel hugely fortunate that we you know our senior leadership is is equally um male to female and you know that that was not ever by design within quotient which i just think speaks you know strongly of the kind of the the culture the legacy culture the intention of of quotient leadership um but it is now something that i you know again think more proactively um about and again my encouragement to any younger female leaders is is really you know what i say be be, be what you are you don't need to try and be like the guy in the room um and yeah, understand
0: the the value that that diversity and and a female perspective can bring. Mm-hmm. Well, you you just kind of almost semi answered my next follow on question, which is you know we get a lot of female listeners to molecules market that are probably in their you know anywhere between mid twenties to you know forty years old, so developing their careers in the outsourcing space on the CRO side, on the CDMO side, and you know, in addition to what you said there, which I think are fantastic kind of words of wisdom around that, you know, you don't have to plagiarize the, the male perspective, actually the female perspective in that situation brings difference and diversity, which is incredibly powerful. You yeah. know, for, for younger females developing their careers in this space, any other kind of lessons or, or things that you've learned along the way that, that would help, say, someone struggling to get to that next level or being overlooked for roles or anything like that?
1: Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question and, and topic as well. And I, I, you know, it's it's almost horrifying for me to think that there are younger females out there that feel constrained, frankly, on mm-hmm. the on the basis that they are female, that there is some sort of, you know, glass ceiling. So I think that you know the mo has to be, in some ways, you know, as younger people are progressing and you know do all the things that you believe you should do, have those difficult conversations you know, whether it's with your manager, whoever it might be, some, you know, a mentor to really dissect the problem. You know, is it is it a problem of some kind of discrimination, whether it's intentional or, you know, unintended? Um, and are you doing all the things for your own development that, that you know, you should do regardless whether you're male or female? Um, so I think being really kind of analytical about a situation, if somebody is, is feeling that this is a problem, then I think speaking up, being articulate about that is is hugely important and don't kind of just hide away and assume that that's kind of you know just how it is yeah Yeah. in this day and age as i say horrifying to think that people um young females might feel that way you're listening to molecule to market where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector the podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space
0: in terms of the dynamic between working in in Scotland in the CDMO space and obviously working on the East Coast in CDMO space, any any I'm sure there's lots of similarities, but any any differences that you've seen between operating on on either side of, of the pond?
1: Yeah, um, you know, in some some respects, I've often felt you know the similarities are surprising. You know, there's been so many many a meeting where I think, goodness me, if I close my eyes, I could be back having the same discussion, you know, in mm. Scotland, in England. And, and and you know, so that when I first moved here, I was struck actually by some of the similar, you know, the, the t- dynamic around, you know, operational challenges or how we address an opportunity or how we kind of rally as a team around a problem. Um, so that for me was a, a pleasant surprise. I think too, though, there are, you know, obviously, cultural differences. And I think often, you know, even outside of work, we can at times underestimate the the cultural difference between, for example, the UK and the US in general. And then, of course, within the US, you've got the uniqueness of the East Coast, West Coast cultures. (laughs) Um, So I think, again, I was, you know, struck somewhat by that, more in, in general terms. There's a real directness, actually, around the way that people operate, particularly on the East Coast, um, in the States, which I I actually think is quite you know conducive um to get to getting things done. Um mm-hmm. there at times in the UK, and again, not even to dissect the UK and its many subcultures, but you know, there there can be uh a, you know polite deliberation <laughs> at times, yeah. which, you know, and again strengths and weaknesses to both of those sort of cultural um dynamics. But um you know particularly if you're in a kind of a you know an operational a manufacturing environment um, you know i can see some of the productivity um on the in the east coast us that that you can just looks a little different in the uk so again similarly that kind of mix of surprising things that surprise me um in terms mm-hmm. of similarity and also some of these more underlying cultural differences that that kind of impact you know the workday you started talking about quot- Quotient Sciences
0: and you're, you know, you had some, you know, obviously you, you were phenomenally successful at Curia and you, you, I think, you know, I know firsthand you very, very well thought of there because I know several people at the organization. So what, what was it about Quotient Sciences that interested you, that intrigued you to want to try something different? And, and I suppose secondary to that as well, you know, for any of our listeners that, have heard of quotient or haven't heard of quotient mm-hmm. give us a bit of an overview as well of uh, of the organization because it's really grown substantially in in recent years as well
1: yeah definitely so if I start with that you know the kind of I, I guess why quotient for me definitely relates you know to to what quotient is where it came from where we are as an organization now so quotient um you know as is, is an organization that really uniquely and provide services kind of end to end across drug development so all the way from you know drug substance um manufacturing great material science pre-formulation capabilities formulation development gmp manufacturing and then really uniquely we have two in-house clinics in which we can um dose volunteers um and then use a you know, an almost real-time feedback loop to analyse that, um, you know, human PK data, feed that back into our formulation, development and manufacturing strategies. So essentially, that's a, a really unique platform that we have. It's Translational Pharmaceutics. Quotient have been running these Translational Pharmaceutics studies for, you know, in excess of 15 years, hundreds and hundreds of successful studies on the books. And again, it's that elimination of the kind of traditional white space between all those you know distinct service areas that other CDMOs offer.
0: And just and just to, sorry to interrupt that, just mm. so I suppose from my understanding, is are those clinical studies, are they do they typically very early stage studies, or could this be a you know a full-scale phase three trial as well?
1: Yeah, really early stage. So at present it's you know it's really phase one, um, first yeah. and human phase one. Um, and essentially it's really enabling our customers to get to that you know all critical early data fast
0: sure. yeah. and we'll okay. really be
1: able to you know respond and adapt as opposed to going through the kind of traditional you know animal models making you know assumptions outside of um uh, human data which then you know prove not to correlate with human data so incredible kind of time And obviously, therefore, uh, cost savings for our customers. And then, you know, again, uniquely, we can we can take customers from there into, okay. so what do we need to do um, to ready ourselves, whether it be the formulation, the manufacturing process or even, you know, simply the production of batches for later phase um, supply. And again, we have all of this capability within the organisation, within a relatively small footprint of five sites, two in the US, three in the UK. And again, I think that's important because as an organization, we can kind of retain almost the, you know, the intimacy of a smaller, um, aligned single project team um that covers, you know, this this vast um you know range of different services, as I say, all the way from drug substance through to your late phase and commercial manufacturing.
0: It's it's fascinating and I have to, you know, one of the things that intrigues me about the model is it's relatively unusual in this space, which I think makes it interesting. And, um, you know, within my organisation, we have people that come like myself from a CDMO background and we have people mm-hmm. that come from a clinical research background. I suppose, how do you... And one train of thought is they're very different, you know, they're very mm-hmm. different business models and, you know, you, you yeah. can't possibly do everything. And, but I suppose I'm interested in understanding... How have, how do you find the integration of those mm-hmm. pieces? Because they are, you know, dosing patients in the clinic is yeah. very different from, you know, I suppose, a formulation development lab, which is very different from a, a manufacturing site. So it, it's like, I'm just yeah. interested in how, that, how, you, how they're all yeah. molded together. It's, it's a fascinating yeah. concept.
1: Um, no, I, I completely agree. And it was something that Long intrigued me about quotient before, <laughs> um, before joining the organisation. I, you know, I think what you've, you know, bottling that is kind of the special sauce. So it's really, you know, anybody can offer all these different services and you know apply the right organisational structure, management processes to deliver. It is that integration. I think that's kind of the key word in a way of of how do we bring this together such that we are not you know diluting the very different needs processes, regulatory environments, even for all these different um, services. But we do it in a way um, that, again, allows that smooth transition from one to the other and the collaboration. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's a really difficult thing to bottle. I mean, I think as evidenced by the fact that not, not many, I think others may try, but, um, you know, Quotient has this really long, successful track record of doing this. And it comes down, in my view, to people, um, for you know willingness to collaborate to think differently um, of course we have you know kind of the more tactical the process the time it takes to do this the kind of the who does what and when but at the end of the day the thing that that really elevates it and brings value to customers is the way that we absolutely work within our organization across those those silos so you know, even my I guess part of the organization, it's it's roughly half and half the kind of farm side drug product development manufacturing folks and the the clinical teams. So we are in you know integrated leadership teams, integrated project teams. we operate project teams on the ground as really you know cross-functional um groups with extremely collaborative ways of working. You know you'll find in our Nottingham facility, for example, the original um quotient mm-hmm. site, you know that is a single site offering where, you've almost got the kind of upstairs downstairs um and people are 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 working together moving between the different areas um you know our farm side labs gmp areas and our and our clinics to deliver these really unique studies and it's funny when you when you say that i'm thinking about our customers part of what we do is really help customers break these silos too um you know, we we often find ourselves, you know, we're working with entirely different groups, subsets of people from a customer, for example, the CMC team versus the clinical team. You know, and part of what we do is really try and help our customers bridge those those gaps too and and come together um, you know, with some, some sort of shared goals for mm-hmm. for the work, whether it be early CMC or, you know, again, evaluation of, of clinical data, for example. Um, so it is unique and that that's the bit, that's the special sauce. Um, around how we
0: deliver this so successfully. Yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating model, and you know, hats off to Quotient who've managed to you know pull this off to date. And it, and it's funny because I remember when I first started my business, we had a client, a CDMO client in Nottingham, and Quotient were nearby, and we're very much seen as well. We don't compete with them; they do kind of patient stuff, and you know, they're not making. But obviously, <laughs> yeah. it's been incredible to watch the business yeah. grow and evolve into something and I suppose we're kind of tipping into one of the areas I wanted to ask you about which was around you know the future and trends as we go into mm-hmm. 2023 so I suppose on that point I suppose before going into you know what are your thoughts on you know things our listeners should be thinking about or looking out for in 2023 mm-hmm. this the model that you guys have do you see others trying to ad- adopt a similar approach Um, mm-hmm. I can see why they would try to do that, but also see the challenges, the inherent challenges yeah. that we've already explored. But do you guys see that as being, you're a bit of a pioneer in that space and that probably is going to be the way forward? Or do you yeah. envisage, I suppose, the traditional approach, which is a relatively separate, albeit there might be some loose strategic partnerships or that type of thing? Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah, so I think, I mean, in terms of others, and we do see others um, you know, trying to adopt This approach and again completely understand why um you know we see that as healthy to be perfectly honest we've been doing this as an organization for so long as I said certainly well in excess of 15 years now and you know the the old school quotient folks will tell you it was not without its challenges for you know for for probably the first few years um so it's really that learning curve you know adapting responding to things that didn't go well you know so the learning curve um you know the the ability to kind of implement this takes time um and uh, and it's not all you know quantitative stuff there's a lot of um you know soft behaviors and and processes that that go in to make it a success so you know i think we see any competition as healthy competition and i don't think there's too many people necessarily trying so yeah <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, and you know, you, yep. the market is buoyant, and there is a, mm-hmm. you know, there is enough business to go around at the minute, yeah. or is there? I suppose, and that asked me, that leads me nicely <laughs> onto one of the things I was going to ask you about. You know, where, yeah. you know, we're staring down the barrel of a, you know, a difficult year for the the capital markets, particularly mm-hmm. in in where you are actually in in, the, in on the east coast, mm-hmm. where the funding is dried up versus it's still certainly high, but certainly mm-hmm. dried up versus 2021. How is that impacting you guys? And obviously you throw in, you know, political things from your perspective, mm-hmm. UK, US. <laughs> it's wow. a bit crazy. Um, You know, the, the, the day we're having this conversation is uh, another mm-hmm. you know, interesting day for the US government. Uh, sorry, the UK government. And mm-hmm. inflation's high, you know, there's a lot of macro factors impacting the sector. And then obviously the, the 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 dwindling of 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 capital as well. Are you guys seeing yeah. given your focus on early phase companies, yeah. is that you know, see is, is that something that you're seeing an impact on yet or you expect to see in the next year or two?
1: Yeah, I think um I mean I agree with you. It is kind of a, a crazy a crazy time um at a, a kind of a macro level and I think more than ever um consideration of these, you know, somewhat Uncontrollable, if you like, uh, macro factors is certainly something that we, is an active part of our dialogue. I see, you know, the challenges like like everyone else of the broader kind of economic climate heading likely into to recession. And so, you know, as you rightly call out, that kind of the, the, the subset of funding for, for early development work is something that, you know, we, our investors, um, Premiera, have been keeping a really close eye on. We are not seeing, you know, material impact right now um, within our organisation. And I I do think, again, you know, slightly philosophically, the way in which we, you know, we're in a sector that will continue, you know, and and in fact can become even more important at times of kind of global hardship. So, you know, it's a good sector to be in. We offer... Um, as I mentioned, by way of translational pharmaceutics, this real opportunity to save time and money, which, of course, becomes even more important. Um, so, you know, as development of medicines continues, which it, it will and it, and it must, we are positioned well, um, even at times where, you know, funding will slow um, mm-hmm. and potentially, you know, reduce. So I think it's that balance of, you know, we're in an environment that we cannot directly control. But are we positioned and are we kind of controlling the things that we can, if you like, in order that we can, you know, continue um, to bring value to, you know, such a critical area of, of medicines development? So without doubt, it is, as I say, an active uh, point of discussion, um, you know, you see the kind of internal impacts, if you like, as well around, you know, just challenges that I know everyone is experiencing with, with the recruitment of people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a challenging job market in which to operate. So again, very much a, a philosophy of you know kind of looking after our our people, um, and you know doing what we need to do to retain, develop uh, talent in house. One
0: one phrase you've said a couple of times is that you wanted just to come back to because it's not one that I I necessarily have come across. You you talk about um I think it's translational, translational pharmaceutical. Yeah. Yeah, which yeah. I it's not a, it's not a, a a phrase I know specifically. So, yeah. is this is this something unique to you guys at Quotient? Mm-hmm. And if so, what does it what does it mean? Mm-hmm. I suppose well, how do you guys define it? Um just because yeah. it's um, and you you might tell me oh it's a very well used name and I, I've literally I'm, I just haven't come across no, no, it. No. But because I, I, you've said it a few times, and again for our yeah. listeners who've probably sitting there thinking. Mm, that's an interesting phrase what 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 does Sarah mean like do you mind just kind of articulating what that what that means
1: yeah absolutely it clearly um it doesn't necessarily roll off the tongue so you're not alone (laughs) um so (laughs) translational pharmaceutics um that is a I guess a a trademarked quotient um phrase um and translational pharmaceutics is really if I you know distill it to something really simple is essentially our that unique platform You know, the quotient um, developed over the years, which essentially is our, I mean, in super simple terms, it's make test cycles, Um, you know, really efficient, quick turnaround, cross-functional make test cycles. So we are integrating formulation development, GMP manufacturing um, of a range of dosage forms, then dosing those within our um, clinics to our volunteers Doing the analysis, the data sciences um, expertise is, is another you know really strong part of quotient. Doing the analysis and using the results of that to say, hmm, okay, you know the exposure looks good here, or this you know mm-hmm. PK profile is just not what we thought it was going to be, and therefore we circle right back into that formulation development um, expertise and. You know, at best, we're doing that across. We're talking weeks, you know, not not months. Um, for wow. these, call it call it make test cycles.
0: Amazing. I I I figured it was that mm-hmm. what you'd almost describe before, and that kind of. um It reminds me a little bit of the tech world where they do kind of MVP product testing very quickly and get data mm-hmm. back and fix things and refine things, and yes. it's almost an agile methodology, albeit for for dosing and formulation development, which I think is is super interesting. I actually don't, I can't think of a guest that's been on and to talk about that in, in such specific terms. So I think it's really interesting mm-hmm. that you guys offer that service. And I know we're, we're running out of, of time because I've kept you long enough, but I'm sure we could talk okay. all day. Um, I suppose mm-hmm. I just wanted to rewind back. Um, you know, we've covered obviously some trends in, in areas of expertise. And I suppose one of the things I've taken from today's, conversation is I think genuinely you are a, a tremendous role model for for young females in in the sector and and anyone that's looking to grow a career you've you've somehow managed to balance life and in of health challenges and you know all that kind of stuff and you know if you could if you could go back and give your 25 year old self some advice you know <laughs> think back of what 25 year old Sarah was you know what what would you have said if anything differently to, to the person I suppose you've you've become
1: oh, that's a big question um goodness me I stay clear
0: than, of Dave stay clear <laughs> of Dave <laughs> yeah
1: take your husband carefully um <laughs> yeah um goodness me other than you know perhaps don't go out partying quite as much as I, I used <laughs> that's, um, that's, you know. that's exactly <laughs> what
0: mine is by the way that's hilarious <laughs> yeah. so.
1: um you know there's that I think though you know, as I look back, I think I was honestly unknowingly, unintentionally grabbing all of the opportunities that I could see. Um, they weren't necessarily placed right in front of my eyes, and so you know, I think if I could go back in time, I would, I would do that as I did, probably with a little bit more, uh, you know, thoughtfulness. Um, so I guess my words of wisdom, um, would be, be confident. I was not, you know particularly confident i probably come across more confidently than i i at times feel even today but so i think you know be confident in your choices don't what i said at the start don't feel you have to be something other than you are to compete um you know and at, at 25 i was probably um you know fell somewhat again into into that category so yeah grab every opportunity create your own opportunities it's not always obvious um and do not beat yourself up too much over failure things will not always go right mm-hmm. and it's such a cliche but true you learn an awful lot um you know from making mistakes so yeah maybe I could have made fewer mistakes <laughs> but as I sit here now I'll say I, I learned from from all of the experience so yeah go out grab it don't be shy and don't be afraid of um of failure and is is there one um
0: thank you for that by the way it's absolutely brilliant um advice for for everyone but any mistakes that come to mind that you and you know, you know I've, I've literally written a book about my own mistakes so yes. i'm very open yeah. about mistakes are there any that come to mind and that that you know, you reflect back on and and almost a mistake that probably felt catastrophic at the time but actually might have been a genuine silver liner because you learned so much from from the episode
1: do you know, again, it's a good There's not one singular thing. I think when I, I, I look back, you know, you, your experience helps evolve, you know, personality and how you respond in certain situations. And I think, you know, I have always been pretty direct. I think I perhaps would go back and when making decisions, perhaps do that in a, a slightly more considered way. Um, so I think, you know, again, not so much that, There's something I absolutely would not do again, um, but maybe the approach and how you go about things and, you know, transitioning from some of my earlier roles um, into different ones, I think I don't regret any decision that I made. I think they were the right ones. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think at the time, you know, I was probably a little more hot headed or you know more worried actually about what other people thought <laughs> if mm-hmm. I really so I think going back, I would worry far less about that and have confidence in the choices I was making
0: that's no, it's a it's a great kind of ending point, and you know i the the phrase I constantly tell myself is respond, don't react. and I, and I, it's it's that kind of something happens in your instinct is to react to the situation and sometimes it's useful to just take a breath or two and have a bit of thinking space before (laughs) responding to a situation. And that can lead to a very different outcome. And um, I think that's a great place to conclude uh, the conversation today. Sarah, honestly, it's been so lovely to have you on the podcast. I know this is going to be a popular episode and I'm expecting, you know, many comments and feedback because, uh, you know, you you really are inspiration to to many people in this space. And it uh, goes without saying, but we, we wish you, you know, good health in the future and and given what you've been through. And thanks for being so open and honest and authentic on the on the interview today because it's been uh, fantastic.
1: No, well, same to you. Thank you so much. Um, thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. So appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Thanks. Take care.
0: Hi again, thanks so much for tuning in to Molecule to Market. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can find more shows on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you'd like to listen. Get in touch with us on our website, MoleculeToMarketPod.com, and follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter, and we will see you again
1: next week. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector the podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content, digital, and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile, and generate leads in life sciences.